for the day. It's a, it's a really rich, beautiful um, passage that we're looking at today. And I got to be honest, at first glance, it was a little confusing. It's like, you know, how does this relate at all to what we're doing? You know, God must have been clearly giving um, Zechariah a vision for the day. But we're going to come, we're going to investigate together, and we're going to find out that the vision that God gave Zechariah was not just specifically for that time. It was for what God was about to do, which is really, really cool. So let's get into it. I want to start this morning today by doing something a little bit different. Um, because we're dealing with a, a, a passage that is a vision from God, it's in so many ways an artistic expression of communicating uh, to Zechariah and the angels doing it that way. And so I'm going to kind of uh, tease out a little bit of that artistic expression, and I want to start this morning uh, with my own rendition of the bigger story. And I want you guys to be caught up into it. So we're going to start off this morning and we're going to take a deep breath together. And then if you want to focus on what I'm saying, if it helps you focus, I, I welcome you to close your eyes and, and kind of just ingest what I'm going to say. There once was a man. This man loved his family so deeply and so lavishly that he gave them everything he had and all that was good. But one day, his family decided it wasn't enough. And when he woke up from a night's rest, he discovered his family had left him. He was so broken by this that he cried himself to sleep night after night until one day he came up with a plan. A plan to make all things right. Now, the man had heard of how his family was doing without him. That they were suffering from the effects of the disconnection that they chose. And instead of letting them have what they deserved, the man sent for them, asking them to return home. But again and again, they rejected him and pursued their own way in the world. The man sent them letters to remind them of what life was like together, and even sent people representing him to speak to, to them on his behalf. They would not respond, and as time went on, their lives became more broken and more hopeless, until one day, the man couldn't sit back any longer so he followed through with his plan. See, he believed that there was only one way left to show his family how much that he loved him. The only hope to restore that broken relationship. See, he would choose to give his own life to satisfy his family's enemies so that they wouldn't have to. that in this act of sacrificial love, all the broken relationships would be restored. All right, you may open your eyes, if you haven't already. 
So this is a this is a sad story. But it's also a hope-filled story. It's a story about separation and desperation. But it's also a story about restoration and reconciliation. It's a story about connecting with God and people. So you're starting to see what's going on here in this story. And although this story isn't completely biblically accurate, it's a story that we all can relate to. It's a story about how we reject God's way in the world and we go out and do things that are for ourselves. And it's also a deep longing that each one of us has to be restored to the one who created us. This struggle of disconnection but hope for restoration that we all feel is the same longing that Israel had wrapped up in the construction of the temple. So hold on to that feeling because you're beginning to understand what it was like for a Jewish person before Jesus. Let's investigate this together. But before we move to our specific passage today, there's a couple of really important ideas that we need to wrap our heads around. The first is called temple theology. Now, temple theology is basically just an understanding of how God interacted or how he um, dwelled with people before Jesus came. So I want to start today with what the temple is not, because this temple ideology is often very misunderstood. The temple is not a place to escape the world. The temple is not a place to escape the world. The temple is a sign of what God will do with the rest of the world. It's kind of like a foretaste or a, a small working knowledge of the model of creation with the goal of heaven and earth coming together. See, the temple is a meeting place. It's all about God's presence on earth. It's the place where heaven and earth intersect. The place where God and people dwell together. And before Jesus, it was the only place where God and people dwelt together. You see, because the temple was always a foretaste of what God would someday complete, a worldwide temple, God dwelling with people throughout the earth, and the earth consumed by that relational presence. Another way of understanding it is the restoration of what was intended in the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden is really a picture of what God always intended for the earth to be, a healthy relationship 
between humans and God, between humans and self, right? That they wouldn't be ashamed and that they wouldn't hide. Um, A restoration of relationship between one human and another human, that that would be good and healthy and loving. A healthy relationship with um, humans and creation, that the animals wouldn't run away, but that they would be together with humans. It's really an, an image of the restoration of all things, the way that God designed the world to be. A world without hurt, without pain, without brokenness, but in right relatedness. Now, the people of Israel believed that the temple is so much more than a building. It's, in fact, a hope for God's people, and not just for God's people, but for the whole world to be made whole. Now, if you're a Jewish, then you have this really beautiful word uh, that you use when you greet somebody or when you say goodbye to somebody. It's shalom. And I've talked about this word before, but it's really important because the, the definition or the idea behind shalom is to make everything whole again, to restore all that is broken in your family, in those relationships, in people around you, in your city, in the world, all things broken be made whole. It's peace. That's what peace and shalom is. Restoration towards right relatedness. Understanding the purpose of the temple is crucial in understanding the Old Testament. And it's also crucial in understanding the vision given to Zechariah. So that's temple theology in a nutshell. Now we need to look at the historical context. Now, at this particular point in time, the first temple had been destroyed. And the vision in our passage takes place while the second temple is being built. So Zechariah is the person that's having the vision. And Zechariah was uh, an encourager of the people. He was a prophet, which basically means that he's a spokesperson for God. And Zechariah had the primary role at this point in time to encourage, exhort, and communicate the promises of God's blessing, specifically the promises of God's blessing to restore all things through this image of the temple. So we have the one character, Zechariah, and then we have the other character, Zerubbabel, and they sort of worked together in this project. So Zechariah was kind of um, the, the representative for God and the people. So he brought the spiritual realm into this um, idea of the project. And that's important to understand. And then you have um, Zerubbabel, who's kind of like the general foreman. He's the dude that's going to physically put this temple together. He's going to build it. He's going to gather the team and the materials necessary to accomplish it. So these two guys are working together to bring about both the spiritual elements and the physical elements of the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem, God dwelling with people in that place. 
Understanding what is going on historically is imperative to understanding the bigger story that God is telling and that God will give through this vision. So, we have a grasp on the temple and its purposes, and we know about what's going on historically, so now we can begin to grasp the vision that Zechariah is being told by God. So there's lots going on in this vision, but I think that there's kind of three important elements um, to it that will just help us to understand where this is going. So the first, uh, sorry, I'll just summarize it. So we have the golden lamp stand with seven candles, and we have oil that never runs out. That's essentially what we're looking at here. The golden lamp stand with seven candles and oil that never runs out. So we've established what the point of the temple is. So remember, it's a foretaste and promise that God will fill the earth with his presence, restoring all that is broken. So we're going to talk a bit about those elements in the vision now. What's the deal with the golden lampstand? Well, the golden lampstand was placed in the tabernacle. So basically, uh, we have a temple, and then in the inner sanctuary, that's called the the tabernacle, is the, the place where God actually dwells. And in that place, we have this golden lampstand set up there. And it's the only light in that inner sanctuary. Um, That inner sanctuary is also called the Holy of Holies. And the only person allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies is the high priest. Now, the high priest represents humanity. He represents all of God's people. This is significant. It's imagery the person who represents all of humankind is inside the temple dwelling with God. The lampstand is in that place as well. There's something going on there. There's something that, um, that God is communicating here to Zechariah. And maybe we're beginning to see it, that God and people dwelling together what about the seven candles? So we know kind of the, the idea of the lampstand. What's going on with the seven candles? So the, the, seven, the number seven in the Bible is a really important number. And we actually see it come up over 700 times. And if we were to put a definition on the number seven in um, a biblical understanding, it basically just means completeness made whole. It means that nothing needs to be added to or taken away from. The number seven is the fullness of everything that God desired for that. He's saying it's perfect, it's complete, it's done. Full stop. That's what the number seven represents in the Bible. It means the perfection, both physical and spiritual. Did you catch that? How that perfection, physical and spiritual, lines up with what's going on uh, with the temple, the building of the temple, the people. Okay, 
we're starting to, to work into the, the meat here. It would seem that number seven in the vision is communicating its completeness. That nothing needs to be added or taken away. That this plan is exactly the way God wants it to be. The final element, the oil that never runs out. And the oil, uh, so I'll just kind of give you, you have to picture it in your head, but basically we've got the lampstand um, with the seven candles and the oil is what keeps the candles lit. So um, the, the, the oil to the candles um, stems back to olive trees in the vision and it signifies a unending supply of, of oil. And lucky for us, we don't have to try and figure out what that oil actually means because the author puts it in um, into our passage and it's found in verse 6. Uh, that the oil is in fact God's spirit. So God's spirit is an endless supply connected to the light of the world in the place where people and God dwell together. See, this is the perfect plan and the exact way that God wants it. And he will do this by his spirit. Now here's the shocking application that not even God's people expected to happen next. See, in our passage, there's a physical temple being dwelt. The hope of all of Israel is put into this physical temple. And God gives a vision to Zechariah that says, yes, I will do what I said I'd always do. But it's still just a foretaste. It's still just a foretaste, the second temple. It's a foretaste for what I'm about to do. And here it is. God left the building and embodied the temple in a person. See, Jesus is the new temple. Jesus claims he's the new temple. Um, We find it all over the place in his life and ministry that he uses that idea. But uh, we see it here in John uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, where Jesus goes and cleanses the temple. And he says, I will destroy this temple in three days and I will raise it up again. See, Jesus is revealing his father's plan to move from the old covenant, the old way in which God and people dwell together in the temple. And he's setting up the new way in the world, the new covenant, the new relational dwelling place. See, the old temple into the new temple. The building into a person as the place where God dwells. Now we see this prophecy clearly in our Zechariah passage and hints of it littered throughout the Old Testament and through this image of the temple. See, Jesus, the person, his life and ministry, his way in the world, reveals to us what this is going to look like and what will happen next. We see Jesus going around healing people, going around and challenging people to love one another, going around and showing them how the physical and the spiritual dwell together in a person and what that looks like in his life. 
Jesus comes along and says he's the new temple. He is the place where God dwells. So what does he do? He goes around and does those wonderful things, and we can read about them. But Jesus also is more than that. Remember how I said the temple is a foretaste for what God wanted to do, restore the whole earth, restore all things that are broken? Jesus also is saying that he is a foretaste, just like the temple, for what God was about to do. What does God do? He pours out his spirit into his people. People like you and people like me. Don't you see? We are the new temple plan to fill the whole earth. Connecting people with God and one another by his spirit that lives inside of us. This is the big picture that God is bringing about the restoration of all things through you and through me by his spirit. In John 14, 15 through 20, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Which means, if you love me, be my way in the world. Follow my example. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And if this next passage doesn't make my point, then I don't know what does. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are the living temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the living temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? See, Zechariah, he's receiving a vision for the new temple way in the world that God would establish by his spirit. And even though Zechariah was physically rebuilding the temple at this time in Jerusalem, it was still only a foretaste for what God would do in the future through Jesus, through you, and through me. So I'm going to take you on a 10,000-foot view, just to summarize kind of all that happened there. So humanity's progression looks like this. We have the Garden of Eden. It is the temple on earth where heaven and earth come together, creation, humans, and God together. He chose to do that through one man, Adam. But humans rejected it and wanted their own way in the world. But God didn't give up on the people or on the earth. 
He would complete what he started, filling the whole earth with this temple dream. So through his people, we get the physical temple of the Old Testament. And through one man, Jesus, we get the new temple embodied, which is a foretaste of what God would do through all people. The Holy Spirit indwelling in us, making us the new temple. The place where heaven and earth would intersect for the world. It's a picture of a new heaven and a new earth. This was always God's desire. That he would bring that temple dream here. The question is, are we living as the temple God made us to be? Are we restoring ourselves to others, to God, and to creation? Are we actively living like heaven is coming down here? Are we living like God who is for the world? Or are we hiding from it? And from him, like in the garden. See, a dear friend of mine said something profound recently to me, and it, it helped me to remember uh, kind of a way in which I used to think. Um, he just said, you know what? I just really wish I could hear God's audible voice. I wish I could um, have his confirmation that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I wish I could just like see his face and touch his hands and, and know that this person um, supports me in what I'm doing and would give me direction into what I am doing. And I can honestly say I've been there too where I just, I wish that was true and that God would work that way. But here's the beautiful truth. The very presence of God in the world lives in you. Every time we want to hear God's voice, we can hear it through you. Because you are the dwelling place of God. You're the physical and spiritual representation of God here on earth because he lives in you. People come into contact with God when they come into contact with you if you're living by his spirit. See, God is more present than he has ever been in the history of the world because millions of people are coming alive in the Spirit and are directed by God and um, guided by the Bible um, to be the physical representation, to begin to look like Jesus into the world. Jesus said it's so far much better for him to go so the Spirit could come because he knew the plan. He knew that God would bring restoration to all things. And if it seems like it's slow going, it's because we don't understand this yet. Because we busy ourselves and don't leave time for God's kingdom work.
See, we're bringing about this new heaven and new earth every time we love another person. We're bringing this new temple dream every time we put someone else's interests before our own. Every time we pick up some garbage left on the street. Every time we gather disconnected people and connect them with a community of loving people, we usher in the kingdom of God and bring about the restoration of all things bit by bit by bit. This is a, it's so many things. It should motivate us to do something with our lives. This is the hope of the world. Of all of us little temples filling the earth, doing the things that we need to do to help people come into contact with a God who so desperately loves them and wants to restore their lives and give them a purpose and a calling that is rivaled by no other. Now, this morning might be the first time that you've realized that God wants to restore a relationship with you. Or maybe God has already started that work in you. And I think that we all kind of want to be a part of God's restoration work in the world. But I want to lead us this morning in a prayer. I'm not asking you to come up or stand up or anything like that. I just want you guys to hear what I'm saying, close your eyes, focus, and ask God to fill you with his spirit either for the first time or for a renewing of spirit. Help him to guide you in what he wants you to do in the lives of your families, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. What kind of creation, restoration, does he want you to take part in? Cleaning up a city street, caring for a home with a single mom? What is it that the Spirit wants to prompt you to do to bring about this new way in the world? Father, I thank you for... I thank you for giving us a purpose here. That we don't have to wait until we die to begin to experience your love. Thank you, Father, that you intervened in a broken, in a dark, in a hurting world and that you gave your very own spirit to each one of us. Father, would you help us to begin to see through your eyes the kinds of things that the Spirit wants to do in and through us. And we know all of this, Father, is for your glory and not for our own. Father, if no one, somebody here hasn't seen this before and wants to just have you pour 
your spirit into their hearts, I would ask you to do that today. By your everlasting spirit, would you fill us so that when we go out from this today, that we would begin or continue your restoration work. The stuff that you've already been doing since the very beginning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Jared. And uh, at this time, we're going to transition into having our uh, offerings and also having our communion. So we're a church that celebrates communion every week. And uh, I believe we have some servers today. And so we'll have our communion elements pass by. And also um, the band will play some music in response to uh, Jaren's uh, message. And we will be uh, uh, having also our offering basket come by.